Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Taboo Taboo. I am your host, Drew from the Future. In this episode, we go back and talk to Dave. Dave's got some incredible stories, as you already know. In this episode, actually, he shares some stories about both fighting gun control and supporting gun control. It's really interesting to see him being on both sides of this issue. He also makes a pretty bold statement in that it's time to declare victory for gay rights. Declaring victory to a fight is hard. It's hard to determine when that should happen or how that should happen. And Dave makes a really specific argument about how the civil rights movement and the goals around that might actually already be accomplished. And lastly, we cover how to have fun and protest, a lost art of sorts. So without any further ado, here's another incredible interview with Dave. Enjoy. So considering your civil rights activism Mm -hmm. and the historic context that we have around race, obviously we don't have segregation anymore. Things are different. In your opinion, we maybe can declare victory on gay rights. What about um, people of color? There is a lot of work to do. And how much can be done is a question I, I think about from time to time. I'm acutely aware of crime statistics um, from Chicago. Chicago has uh, what forty, at least forty-three hundred people were shot uh, last year, and uh, there were over seven hundred fifty-six deaths. Uh, overnight, ninety-five percent of those were black. Right, and that kind of statistic is is true throughout the United States um, mostly I mean two thirds of the of the deaths are suicide most of those suicides are white but my point is that if we think about proportionality it's it's stunning maybe is one word but uh, that we have such a large number of of people that are being shot and that are killed that are disproportionately from one particular racial group. And I don't know what to what can be done about this, frankly. Um, the efforts that undertaken by others who are much smarter, uh, much more knowledgeable than I am, haven't been successful, or at least we haven't figured out what, what works. Um, and it's not clear to me where the, where the problem lies. Yeah, it, it's easy to say, okay, race is, is there certainly. But if you drill down, how much of that is due to economics? Right. How much of it is due to opportunity? I attended right. the Black Guns Matter conference. <laughs> That's and, a thing. It's a thing. Okay. Uh, in Oakland um, last year, last last fall, uh, organized by a, a guy uh, from Philadelphia who was black. Uh, and his argument is that gun control is a form of black oppression. And as someone white, I was thinking, all right, well, that seems to be a stretch. But... He made some comments during the, the uh, lecture, and then I did my own research afterwards, and I'm, I've really come around to his point. What were the main points around that? Well, he was 
making a number of points, but if you start looking at even going back to civil rights, I mean, excuse me, the Civil War era, the laws that were put into place were there to prevent black people from owning guns. It was illegal. Right, okay? for a black person to own a gun. Or yeah. to even shoot a gun. Both were illegal. Okay. okay? Um, and you have some old Civil War photos where you have a, a white Confederate soldier uh, with his black companion, who was effectively uh, his slave, but he was helping him in the war. Okay, and there's some classic photographs that were, yeah. were there. Now, whether the, the and there were some some people, the Buffalo Soldiers were one group of uh, black fighters. But in any case, the the upshot is that you had that. Then most recently, um, I can't remember the name of the legislature. I should know it, but I don't. But during the Black Panther period, the Panthers were then Oakland-based, uh, went Sacramento with their guns. Um, and the almost exclusively white California legislature was appalled, and they immediately passed a law against any kind of carry. Really? Really, yeah. As a direct result of the Black, Black Panthers, Panthers demonstration. Now, they didn't shoot anything. Right. And I, to the best of my knowledge, their, their long guns, which is what they carried, were unloaded. Right. It, I think the law at the time allowed that to happen, but they were unloaded. Huh. And they just terrified the legislature. And that's why we have some of the most horrible gun control <laughs> ordinances in the country <laughs> are here in California. Has it made a difference? Absolutely not. Because white legislators are afraid of black people with guns. Yes. Okay. And there are a number of other ones that are similar to that around the country. And this was uh, Maj's point. And, you know, the guy is right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. Now... That's not the only reason, of course, but it is a factor. And um, so I was, I was one of three white people in this audience. Um, it was a large turnout. Um, you counted the other two white people. <laughs> they were both speaking. Okay. Oh. So. <laughs> you were the only one in the audience. That's right. White. Got That's it. right. Okay. <laughs> it's easy to count one. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but I, again, I lived on the south side of Chicago. I don't... <laughs> Former NAACP member. Right. <laughs> you know, I'm, yeah. Just because I'm white doesn't mean I'm going to be scared around black people, for heaven's sakes. But right. anyway, they had some interesting questions in the audience. Again, in terms of proportionality, more many more black people are incarcerated than whites on as a, as a measure of percentages. And uh, that means that once you've been convicted, you are pretty much prohibited from owning or possessing a firearm after that. And there was a man, I still remember this guy, who's in the front row, who said, what can I do to protect my family if I can't have a gun? And they didn't have an answer. Right. But I did. What's that? Get an air rifle. <laughs> or a nail gun. Well, the air rifle and air pistols, the, some of them are just as powerful as a, um, as a 9 millimeter. Really? They yeah. can puncture the skin? They can puncture a body. Wow. Okay, you can kill a deer with them. What? Oh, yeah. Wow. Sure. Now, they're expensive, and you're not going to use um, uh, CO2 cartridges. You're going to use um, a 5,000 PSI air cylinder mm -hmm. you know, to, to power them, but they will do the job, and they are legal. Hmm. So my point 
to this man and, and to the audience was the law is stupid. You know, the whole concept is, you know, you, it's racist. Are rehabi- <laughs> you should be rehabilitated, right? right? Yeah. And if you're rehabilitated, why should that affect your voting or, or gun rights? Right. But the reality is that that is a situation, and I think it, one could argue it is racism. But regardless, the issue here is how can you protect yourself? So get an air rifle, and that will do the job. Right. You can do serious damage to anybody with that. But that's, that's a... Well, walk around that he has to do because of his situation which that's right potentially which actually i'm not going to say potentially absolutely he shouldn't be stuck in a situation where he has to walk around the rules primarily because of maybe socioeconomic issues or just flat out race issues <clears throat> i don't know his circumstances so i really right. can't talk to that but right. i mean the guy could be a serial abuser i have no idea right, what his right. history is but in general um, I thought it was a good question, and that is if I have been incarcerated, I'm released, and I am under threat, how do I defend myself and my family? Well, right. that's a way. Interesting. Without going back to the prison. Um, you talked about how legal issues around gun ownership, uh, you're talking about that speaker and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you think that drugs fit into race and race relations today? Because... It's different than it was in the 60s, even. Well, there still is is that. I think there is some hope for change. We have lost the war on drugs. I hope everybody feels that <laughs> to be, <laughs> is their reality, but it certainly is for mine. Who lost, though, in the war on drugs? The people that thought they could win. Right, but what what were they... It doesn't seem as though they were waging a war on drugs so much as... Because they didn't wage a war on all drugs. They waged a war on some drugs. That's, of course... Right. And uh, actually, we did another episode about D.A.R.E., and it turns out if you're one of the kids who went through the D.A.R.E. program, you're four times more likely to do drugs. Wouldn't surprise me. <clears throat> the, the upshot is that there was a belief at one time that simply that we were all powerful. The United States could spend money on some program and, the, and would magically get fixed. Right. That... Uh, that Kind of all came out of the New Deal, right? It came. It's been there for a while. There's this, this <laughs> American exceptionalism, well, and and arrogance on the part of government. <laughs> but regardless, um, there was a sense that it could be would, would be possible to make some impact. And so a variety of things were tried. We all remember the the uh, billboards and so forth of the. Scram, uh, the, uh, the egg, yeah. <laughs> the eggs, exactly. Your brain, your brain on drugs. Drugs, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, but the reality is that it hasn't made any difference. And if anything, problems, things have gotten worse. And I'm not talking about marijuana, but uh, opiates and so forth. And uh, so the, the upshot is that I think that there's a realization that we're spending billions and billions of dollars keeping people locked up. Um, for something that's really a health problem. Right. And that's how it should be addressed, as a health problem, not as a criminal justice problem. We're criminalizing a medical issue, Mm -hmm. and only for certain drugs, not for all drugs. And you're absolutely right. So the classic example that comes up all the time is crack. Yeah. uh, Versus cocaine. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then we now have... uh, a major, major problem with opiates, mm-hmm. and uh, which is pretty much a white problem. Oh, really? Yeah. Hmm. And um, I happen to like um, the background checks. I hmm. think that's absolutely essential. 
like because then you, you can judge based on if somebody has a history of abuse or violence. Well, I think that there, uh, first of all, the chances are pretty good that if somebody has committed some offense, they're going to reoffend. Yeah. Okay. With within. You're talking about time. violence, right? Or. Well, lots of things, but particularly um, in general, um, 56, 57% here in California. Recidivism? Mm-hmm. Oh, I thought it was up in the 70s. Depends on which period of time you study and which uh, particular group you study, but on if, balance. If you're getting more than half to come back and it's a private prison, then that's what you want, right? <laughs> I guess, but, or, or in the penal, you know, the criminal justice system, it keeps you gainfully employed, but. Yeah. Anyway, um, I think it is important to do background checks. Um, I think the ones we have here in California are absurd. You know, you have to wait 10 days, and then on top of that, even if you have a firearm, you still have to wait another 10 days, and you can only purchase one every 30 days, and I can go on and on. It doesn't improve public safety in the least bit. Right. Other states have a three-day waiting period, and all the data suggests that <clears throat> you aren't any safer waiting 10 days, three times more than you were with three versus 10. I can go on and on and on. I, but nevertheless, I like background checks. I think they make a lot of sense. Um, another thing that I find is, is um, important, and particularly in the case of domestic abuse um, and mental illness. Now, California has, according to the state auditor, uh, over pretty close to 300,000 people that are designated armed prohibited persons. So That's approximately 1% of our population? Yeah. Just under? Yeah, 30 million or so, yeah. So the upshot is that we have lots and lots of people that are at least on file as having guns and have done things that would prohibit them from possessing them. Yet... We don't have any effort that I'm aware of to mitigate that. I've talked to uh, the San Jose Police Department. Most recently, I had a conversation with the Sheriff's Department. They aren't going out and doing this on a regular basis. Now, we know the names, right? We know where they live, all that kind of thing. But the police feel that they have other things to do until they commit a crime. What would you have them do? <clears throat> I would have them go out and collect the guns. So go to somebody's house who's legally not allowed to have guns, mm-hmm. assume they have guns, search, find the guns, and take them? Well, you do two things. First of all, the first thing is you do is you have them sign an affidavit saying that they don't have them. Oh, okay. So you go to their house and you say, hey, here's an affidavit that mm-hmm. says, I do not possess any firearms. That's right. And you have them sign that. That's right. Okay. And then what? And then if it turns out that they do then they are dealt with very harshly. Okay, gotcha. Okay. So they would, they would have to basically opt in to sign this affidavit. They either do what they're supposed to do, which is relinquish their firearms, and that doesn't mean that they have to have their property seized. For example, they could convey it, they could put it with a trustee, that type of thing, because they can get on these lists unreal. When they are effectively innocent. Right. Okay? Yeah. And I think it's important to make sure that we just don't demonize people who have not been treated fairly or properly. Mm. So um, they either, um, but, but still, make sure that, that they are conforming to the thing and then give them an opportunity to challenge it if they are somehow on this list improperly. 
So changing topics a little bit. Yeah. What activism are you involved with today? Because <laughs> I know you d- you didn't stop. You haven't stopped since. Not in the least bit. Um, there's several. Um, most recently, uh, Cupertino. Um, the <laughs> oh Lord. I'm going to be there at 8 o'clock tomorrow morning. Uh, if you can imagine, the, the mayor has convened a meeting of the Santa Clara, excuse me, Cupertino City Council, 8 o'clock in the morning on a Sunday at a hotel, not the council chambers. I mean. Okay. And it is entitled Goal Setting. So it's pretty clear they don't want anybody to be there. <laughs> right, yeah. So <clears throat> why uh, Cupertino has my attention is that the former mayor who was running for office thought that, and this is my assumption, of course, that he could get some political traction by running on an anti-gun uh, campaign. Um, so he attempted to do that, and he lost, came in fourth in the election. Uh, but he started this a year ago, in January of 16, and um, the city has gone forward with putting in some really horrible gun control regulations. And we managed to organize the largest turnout that they have ever had in their entire history. <laughs> Not once, but twice. <laughs> and uh, They must have loved you for that. <laughs> oh, it got attention that they've never had before. <laughs> and this went before their public safety commission meeting, which was a prelude to taking it before the city council. Mm. So we got the... Um, whole thing bollocked up in the public safety commission meeting. So did that mean that it then won't go forward? No. The rules are that they then can put it on an agenda if they get the support of two or more members of the five-member council. Hmm. Um, so I've, I think I'm reasonably good at securing documents, and I now have proof that the city's executives lied. I mean, not prevaricated, not cast, uh, a mis- not gave a misimpression, flat out lied. Wow. Um, regarding? Regarding what, regarding this entire program, okay, the initiative. They weren't even supposed to do this. Hmm. Number two is that they didn't do any homework. They didn't check any of the gun stores that would be affected either in Sunnyvale or Cupertino. They were supposed to, again, by direction but didn't fail to do so but i uh it's it's pretty clear that there is no rational basis for pursuing this matter of course last year uh seven bills were passed by the legislature and signed by governor brown prop 63 passed and the proposed ordinances um don't make any sense given everything else they also have a regulation that was passed in 1961 that says you need a permit to shoot a firearm, a BB gun, um, any spring or air-powered device within the city limits. I went over to the sheriff's office. They uh, handle law enforcement for the city. Um, they're the police department. And asked to fill out and get a permit so I could shoot in Cupertino. And I didn't say what, but I just simply said they had no idea what I was talking about. <laughs> they, they thought it was a code enforcement issue. <laughs> and, um, and then, of course, you 
total them. Right. You probably nope. cited. I did. <laughs> it's right here in your minimal code. And uh, gave them my contact information because they said they would have to research it. That was on January the 12th. So tomorrow morning when I show up at the hotel for the uh, meeting, I'm bringing my Nerf gun and I'm going to shoot a Nerf gun and ask to be cited. It's a $100 fine. <laughs> And they can choose to criminalize kids. <laughs> Always Bring me away in handcuffs, right? right? <laughs> so it's going to be a fun meeting tomorrow. It seems as though you take the you take liberties with the privilege you have, because obviously you're aware you were born into some privilege, and sure. and and today you feel a certain amount of acceptance for your sexuality. Yep. And and so in a way, you have the freedom of pushing people's buttons. In a way that I think most people also have, but most people don't take advantage of. Well, we, yeah. all, we, we play with what we're dealt with. Now, right. you know, am I going to bring up that there is a huge interest in, in oh, that, the, their gun, that their ordinances are perceived as hostile to the LGBT community and that we are the second largest victim of hate crimes, according to the FBI, and what they are doing is encouraging uh, gay bashing and so forth with this ordinance. Would I play that card? Of course I would. <laughs> <laughs> if it works, right? <laughs> and and Tim Cook, who happens to be in charge of your largest employer right. in Cupertino, Apple, yeah. is gay. And there yeah. are gay people we have who are Apple employees and so forth and so on that shoot at the Pink Pistols range. Am I going to play that card? I will if I need to. Do I believe it? No, of course I don't. But still, they don't know that. Right. Okay. Right. It's the kind of statistics that... Other people use in order to kind of manipulate the social standing. Of course, yeah, of course. And it and it it maybe it's not exactly a one to one relation, but it still proves the point and pushes things in the right direction. Well, it it causes them to realize that there are consequences and that they could they could get unforeseen consequences. They could get black eyes by being perceived as homophobic and so forth. And uh, anyway, but have you reached out to Tim? (laughs) <laughs> what I wouldn't I've, be surprised if you did. <laughs> what I have done, though, is I have attempted to identify a, a, a gay uh, employee group within Apple. And they used to have one, but it's not clear to me that they have one any longer. And I used to belong to, to one when I worked uh, for Hitachi. Um, but this kind of goes back to what we were saying earlier, Drew. I mean, you know, once you have equality... Why do you need to have all of these little right. clubs and ways to keep apart from others? Right. Maybe not full equality, but like most equality. Yeah, yeah. for a practical standpoint. Right. And um, like you said earlier, there's always that asshole. Yeah, but I mean, I, one statistic I saw was a survey. I think it was I can't remember if it was Gallup or Pew, but they were surveying attitudes of Americans toward LGBT people, mm-hmm. and so it turns out that the French are less highly regarded than gays are. (laughs) (laughs) Gays are higher than French right now. That's right. We're more popular than the French are. (laughs) Did you know that herpes is doing better than Trump? (laughs) No, I didn't. (laughs) Yeah. The acceptance rate of herpes is higher than that of Trump. (laughs) So, um, anyway, that's, um, that's going to be an interesting meeting, but I was able to get, you know, through some organizational work, uh, the largest turnout, Turnouts, plural, that they've ever had. The second was actually bigger than the first, and it was a terrible night too. Lots of rain, but still, we got uh, got the room filled even after they moved it because mm-hmm. it was too big to be contained in the initial room. Mm-hmm. And um, 
So there's there's that. Um, I met with uh, a bunch of lawyers and lobbyists in Sacramento on Wednesday uh, to about grassroots organizing for for Second Amendment issues. The state people in, in Sacramento, where legislators are continuing on this uh, thing of trying to impose more and more laws, but um, I believe that we have an opportunity to to do a lot more at the local level than has been achieved and. So I'm going to see what I can do about that. On the other side is making sure that our money is spent wisely. Um, so I've been involved, and that's how you and I met, uh, through, an or, through an organization that's focused on, on uh, fiscal conservatism. Um, it's not don't spend money. Okay? Yeah. It's because clearly there are many good reasons to use tax money for various purposes, but just spend it wisely. And that's the key thing. Yeah. I'd say at, uh, at my time working for San Jose City Council, uh, for one of the council members that we helped get elected, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, working there, one of the most depressing things for me was not how government spends money per se, like not even the programs and how you pick what programs those were, mm-hmm. but that they had nobody like you professionally in there. There was no desire, interest, or motivation to increase any form of efficiency. So if they had somebody, like if there was a uh, an incentive to increase efficiency where people who have your expertise can go in and be like, boom, save you $6 million a year from now in perpetuity, um, then I think that the government could do a lot, all the things that they want to do. But the fact of the matter is once a program is established, it only becomes consumptive and it grows without growing the scope of what it helps. One of the things that... that- we got done through the San Jose City Council which was we got the council to reinstate and to fund an employee suggestion award program. Um, back in the, the 60s, uh, they stopped it in 65. I went through the public records. Uh, but it had a pretty good run from, from about 20 years uh, where employees were given rewards based on suggestions, money-saving suggestions. And um, it was revolutionary at the time. San Jose saved millions and millions of dollars through their employee suggestion program, just as have large companies. And uh, somewhere along the line, the whole thing just got stopped. And uh, one of the things that this group, CFR, Citizens for Fiscal Responsibility, got done was to um, get that program reinstated so that now employees can be rewarded for coming up with cost-effective ideas. Right. And they should be. Yeah, it only makes sense. So there are a bunch of things. but um, So that's the other aspect of, uh, of it. It's, it's, it could be a bit depressing because many <laughs> of the people um, like to just sit around and, and whine about things rather than... Right. And, and their idea of success is getting a letter published in the Mercury News. Right. Um, Maybe less of a results-oriented activism and more of a communal well, bitch fest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I but lately I've I've been engaging with uh, young people because they're the hope um, of the, our future. So, at San Jose State and uh, University of Santa Clara and so forth, saying you know, here are some areas and meeting with the professors uh, about programs that they could encourage their students to get involved in. Going back to activism. How has activism changed from where it was back when you first started versus today? 
Well, <clears throat> I, that's a great question. And in many ways, it hasn't. We still see, um, oh, things like now with Trump, for example, there are a lot of protests. Um, and that has not changed one iota. People are organizing, they're demonstrating, um, being very vocal. Um, the news coverage is, of course, infinitely better than it used to be. But I'm not sure that's a good thing. Um, we don't have buffers that we did before the Internet. Um, now everything is instantaneous. Right. And I can be an activist with a like instead of protest. So there is also the notion that it's easy to avoid analysis. And uh, somebody can, well, the Women's March comes to mind. There, there are lots of reasons, I think, to, to support it. But the fact that they did not, in fact, explicitly rejected having women that took, had a pro-life view... They excluded them from the from the event. Um, to me, was a bit troubling. If you're for women's rights, then you know, or gay rights, or whatever, um, you assume that you're going to have people with different views on different topics. But right. you were united in the advocacy of, let's say, women or that type of thing, and not to be very selective about which causes you you deem to be okay. So that was one part that I didn't think got a lot of publicity, but I found it a bit troubling. The and this is because again I think we everything's instantaneous, whereas if we had analysts and those kinds of things looking into it, writing stories, then maybe we'd be a bit more deliberative. The other thing that I think has changed, and again I'm not sure it's for the positive. The notion was that you had. Um, people who were kind of leading the charge and you had a bunch of people that were there doing various items. The only way that you could communicate was really by telephone at that back in the day, right? It was all pre-internet and no email, no nothing. And your guys' phones were like attached to the wall, huh? <laughs> yeah, they were. Didn't even have cell phones. Yeah, you're absolutely right. <clears throat> so really ancient. And you know that and smoke signals and tom-toms, right? right, right, we, right, right. Of course, solar, you know, we were flashing mirrors. And, any of that. Um, but uh, the, the point of it is that that type of personal touch and exchange, I think, was better in some ways because rather than sending in an email. And um, lastly, most recently, I guess, is what I've seen is kind of the lack of fun. Fun. Um, fun. Okay. Okay, so again, I'm going to be <coughs> drawing on some of the protests that I've been involved in. But um, during some of the gay rights uh, demonstrations and things, there were, were people, very angry people, of course, with placards and these kinds of things. You right. see a lot of that today, of course. But you also had people that were engaged in street theater, okay. um, spoofs. Um, <laughs> I mean, the um, Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, the men who dressed up as nuns because of the position of the Catholic Church, and so they decided to spoof the entire thing. Okay. <laughs> gotcha. Um, Lots of that kind of political theater, and I and it was fun. It was entertaining. It was uh, that kind. Of, any event, it seems as though we've lost 
a little bit of that. Hmm. Um, and that's one of the reasons I'm taking the Nerf gun <laughs> to the uh, city council tomorrow. Right? Throw a little fun into it. Yeah. yeah. And, oh, by the way, I'm also taking Hornet spray. I bought five cans of Hornet spray at Lowe's yesterday. Oh, because it's kind of a projectile? No, because, in well, here again is how has activism changed? You know, you can go at loggerheads against someone. That's easy. You know, st- scream in their face, yell right, at them, right. try to drown them. That out. always affects change, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Okay. But the other thing is, <clears throat> what's wrong with leading by example? What's wrong with trying to be constructive? Because if you are promoting a cause, let's say in this case, Cupertino wants to improve public safety. That's why they're promoting, allegedly, gun control. <laughs> right, allegedly. <laughs> well, you know, well, then let's talk about public safety. And let's, what are you doing about public safety? Because when I checked, they are not conducting any kind of active shooter program training for their kids or employees in the schools. That would be a, a much more effective step. Well, it's what San Jose Unified is doing. It's what San Jose State is doing. A lot of places conduct active shooter training in case, you know, there should be some cuckoo shows up with a gun and starts popping off rounds at kids or, or faculty. But they aren't doing that. They are not doing anything about training. For example, Cupertino's big problem are burglaries. So how do you make residents safer? They aren't. So what I'm doing as part of an NRA grant is actually going out to uh, churches, um, civic organizations, neighborhood groups, and setting up these classes and that's what the hornet spray is all about, because that is a good way to prevent somebody from... I, I don't want to shoot anybody. Same, yeah. But uh, the hornet spray will shoot a stream that's 20 feet, and it's more irritating than pepper spray. Wow. And a lot cheaper. Interesting. So everybody, in my view, should have one in their car and one by their front door. <laughs> <laughs> that's a better way to defend yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So, so any event, these are just examples. But my point is, and again, the, it's a nice, fun prop. I mean, who go? Who, how many council members end up with pepper with uh, hornet spray? But the point is that we're organizing these kinds of training sessions in Cupertino. Now we've asked the city to work with us in this. They haven't done anything yet, but we aren't waiting. Right. We're going forward with a public safety training program. Now, what does it do? It does a couple of things. One is it embarrasses the shit out of the city because it shows that they are not doing anything. Mm. They're talking about it and coming up with measures that have absolutely nothing to do with public safety. Right. Number two is that by working with this, these organizations, we're doing community building. We're getting mailing lists. We're getting names. We're getting faces. We are getting a way to get our message out. Right. We are building a movement. And we will do what was done in Sunnyvale when they passed Measure C, and that is every single elected official who supported the gun control measure there no longer has a job. Wow. Every single one. Wow. And I want to make sure that the elected officials in Cupertino understand (laughs) that anything in this direction will be career-limiting. Right. Okay? So... There are lots of ways to do activism. Right. Um, confrontation is just one that gets a lot of press, but it doesn't do things over the long haul. These are ways to go after things long term. It seems to me that all of your activism is results oriented. Like there's all issues <coughs> that you care about deeply that you've educated yourself on a lot. And by the way, I think you're the only person I know who's both very associated with 
NAACP and NRA. <laughs> well, I know I don't know many because right. we have such a small percentage of black people in Santa Clara County, but I certainly sure. know a number of black gun owners. Right, I for shoot sure. with them. Oh yeah, and there's a, in fact I'm thinking of one young man who uh, was a uh, in the police program at, at uh, Evergreen College, and um, uh, he damn good shot. And then there's an, an older man who comes into the range three two days a week. And, uh, and, um, any event, yeah, he's, hmm. he said his, he hasn't gotten his son to take up firearms, but he, he enjoys shooting at any right. event. So, yeah. So it seems as though all of your activism is results oriented, education based, and primarily focused on affecting change. Of course. How come you don't like some other popular activists, how come you don't also include in that some sort of name recognition where you're building up the Dave Trustlow name, you know what I mean? That's the last thing I want. Okay, you don't want to be popular. Or you don't I want don't, to be known for this. No. Okay. Even if that gave you a platform to affect more change? Even if it would. Um, the reason I say this, Drew, is that I don't like celebrity for me. Okay. I really don't. Um, I think it gets in the way. And of of having reasonable conversations with people, many people can't get past the celebrity aspect for whatever reason. So then you can't talk to them one to one. That's my sense. Hmm. And so I would much rather, if somebody wants that crown or mantle and this be the spokesperson for, wonderful, take it on. Right. Okay. Right. I don't want it. It seems very selfless. Well, I don't know that it is. It's just that it's what I... I don't want it. I really do not want that. I can definitely understand that. I don't want to be famous ever either. (laughs) So for those listening who are interested in getting involved in... Whether it's the NRA or NAACP, how how would you recommend getting involved in activism? Whether they have to create something themselves (coughs) or join something? Well, I would ask myself some questions. What do I want? Right. Because people become involved in things for any number of reasons. could be because they're lonely. They're trying to find like-minded souls that will reinforce their values. Um, It could be because they want to have a legacy of sorts. They've made a difference. Um, Any number of reasons. But I would start with what do I want. And then number two is, how much am I willing to invest? Hmm. Time, money relationships that's right yeah okay and so you set boundaries and then thirdly is how long do i want to do this because um i can tell you that uh, nothing is forever i mean it's one of the (laughs) one of the uh, four seals right right and um our attitudes change i uh, was a ardent activist with civil rights for a number of years and I reached a point where I felt we pretty much achieved what needed to get done. Equal opportunity doesn't mean equal outcome. And it's important to recognize that. So once the main things have been dealt with, employment, public accommodation, discrimination, those kinds of things, then if we still don't have 
the kind of outcome we would like, then there probably is something else that needs to be done. Right. But the civil rights aspect has been dealt with. You've addressed all the public outright racism. I think so. Yeah. You know, maybe, now maybe there's something overlooked. but Now it's more covert or institutionalized. <clears throat> well, let's put it another way. One of the things that I've been thinking about, and it's a time aspect, um, is several people have asked me if I would be interested in helping kids after school. Now, part of the shooting program that I'm involved with, I have, in fact, helped some kids with various items. You know, They've had some problems with math homework and that type of thing. One... one uh, person is, was challenged to write a paper. Couldn't figure out how to get started. Hmm. Okay, So we had a conversation and then I just had him write points down and then he had his whole essay written at that point. Hmm. Okay, um, So one of the things that I've been asked about is if I would be willing to work with kids after you know an after school program tutoring type thing. Um, it appeals to me. I'd like to see kids succeed but I don't know that I really have that much time to spare. So my point is, you have to ask yourself, what are what are the limits? And, and now that I feel that civil rights has been pretty much dealt with, if I feel that it's important to, to address um, the disparity between income levels by race or something like that, then probably it means taking it to another area, such as tutoring kids or... Yeah. Or the other thing I've done, as I said, uh, the, helping write resumes for Right, uh, men who were getting out of out of prison. So for you, it has to be tangible. It has to be goal oriented. Um, but what you'd recommend for other people is understand why you want to do it, mm-hmm. what you're willing to do, and how long you want to do it for. Right. Because your activism has changed from one issue to the next, obviously. Yeah. And other people should expect that as well. You may not be a lifelong ex activist, but um, but if you understand why you're doing it and and what you want to achieve then you can enjoy that activity and maybe roll that into a next one. It is, but the other thing, you, you hit on something that's really important for me, and that is the notion of being goal-oriented. Yeah. And I constantly measure my success or lack thereof. And one of the things I ask myself is whether it succeeds or not is to what extent was it based on my plan and to what extent was it based on execution of that plan. Hmm. And it could be success or failure. But it's important to always analyze what's going on for me. All right. Tell me that was an incredible episode. Is it me or is Dave a pretty complex guy? I mean, talk about not only fighting for gun control, but also against gun control. Plus, it's kind of a daring statement to say it's it's time to declare victory on gay rights. But you know what? He has a great point. We have lost... A lot of the fun in protesting. I definitely want to see some silly sketches and skits the next protest I go to. Thank you so much for listening again to another episode of Taboo Taboo. We absolutely love how much our fans are already liking our podcast on every platform they're listening to, whether it's SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes. But not only that, but sharing with friends. Oh my gosh, you guys have been doing an incredible job of that. So keep that up. We definitely want to hear and see more of that. If you have any questions, if you have any comments, you just want to get in touch with us for any reason, reach out to us, tabutabupodcast at gmail.com. We're at tabutabupod on Twitter and Instagram. Um, so we, we already appreciate the support you guys have been showing us. This has been an incredible first season so far. Um, looking forward to next year. It's going to be 
so many more interesting things. Uh, this has done nothing more than gain momentum thanks to your support. So keep it up. I really appreciate it. And again, if you guys have any suggestions, shoot us an email, tabutabupodcast at gmail.com. I'd love to hear what you guys want to hear about. With that, I'll see you next episode. Have a great day.